Welcome to the Ready to Thrive podcast. My name is Jacqueline, and I don't know if you've ever felt like you are just surviving your life. I know I have, and that's why I created this space. I want to help you move from surviving to thriving. My goal is to help you get unstuck and actually enjoy your life. Each week, I'll be sharing practical tips and always point you to Jesus. So what are you waiting for? Let's get ready to thrive. Hello and welcome to Ready to Thrive. I am sitting here with Jen Pollock-Michelle. She is an award-winning author and a mother of five, which I think actually gives her another award. Her latest book is A Habit Called Faith, 40 Days in the Bible to Find and Follow Jesus. And I just want to read a quote that I love from her book. It says, today's neurological research has placed habit at the center of human behavior. We are what we do repetitively. When we want to add something to our life, whether it's exercise, prayer, or just getting up earlier in the morning, we know that we must turn an activity into a habit through repetition or it just won't stick. What would happen if we applied the same kind of daily dedication to faith? Could faith become a habit, a given, automatic? And I love that little... um preamble to the conversation we're going to have because I think it is really a whole new way to look at cultivating faith in our lives. And I know if there's anything we need right now, it is strong, deep roots in our faith. So I am excited to have this conversation with Jen and to share this with you. So Jen, welcome to the show. Uh, Tell me a little bit more about yourself. Yeah, thanks Jacqueline so much for having me. I am on location now from my home in Toronto. So my husband and I and our kids moved to Toronto 10 years ago from Chicago, planning to sort of, you know, be here two or three years. And 10 years later, here we still are. And we love it. You know, it's just been such a thrill to to live in the city, to live in Canada. And um, I was raised, like I said, in the States and raised in a Christian family, although I didn't become a Christian, I would say a a Christ follower until I was 16. And um, so that's kind of a whole other story. We can certainly talk about that. But I didn't start writing actually until I came to Toronto 10 years ago. I mean, I should say that I was I was doing some devotional writing before we moved here in 2011. And then when we moved here and it was just such a big change for our family, I thought, I really think I should be kind of keeping my own story. I saw that in scripture. I saw that Israel was constantly commanded to remember, to rehearse, to pay attention to the things that God had done and to kind of keep telling those stories to their children and their grandchildren. And so it was, it was sort of in our, from our move in 2011 that I thought, oh, I should really, I should really do that. And the writing has kind of grown out of that. So yeah, I have it called Faith is the fourth book. And if you had asked me 10 years ago, if I was even thinking of entering into book publishing, I I don't, I would have said no. (laughs) Well, um, there's a lot of story there that I'm excited to unpack. <laughs> I also um, just want to let people know if they're not familiar with you, um, it's surprising to me to hear um, that you haven't been a writer for longer because your writing is so engaging. Um, the interesting thing I was thinking as I was reading your latest book was that I was like, she is tackling really deep concepts, yet this is easy to read. 
this is a page turner, which I was like, this that's such a challenge because I find any book that I read that has some sort of theological depth to it, like I'm just bored stiff and I and I have a hard time getting through. But I just want to encourage people um, that Jen is writing a really engaging book that makes you it's it's almost like when you're watching a movie and you kind of get lost in the movie and you forget, you're like, oh yeah, I don't, I'm not actually living the life of this character. Um, so I was deeply encouraged by that. And so I'm excited to unpack more of your story of how you became a published author and dive into your book. Um, but let's go back to just becoming a Christian. I'd love to hear that story. I was 16 and I was, I would definitely say was at that point, I would have said I was a Christian. I believed that Jesus had died for my sins and that I was a sinner and that I needed salvation. I, I never really stopped believing those things. Those are the truths that I was taught by my parents and just growing up in the church. But I really thought it was very boring. You know, I thought, you know, that is something for me, maybe I'll come back to it when I'm 30, when I have kids, when I'm driving a minivan, life will be so boring anyways. I might as well just be a Christian, I guess, at that point or follow Christ. Um, and of course, you know, we don't, we don't really plan these things. I don't think, I think our faith story is something that God is writing and we're just responding to his work in our lives. So at 16, I didn't imagine that I would start following Christ. I just happened to end up at summer camp with my youth group. Um, and I met Christ there. It wasn't really through a specific sermon. I don't remember a Bible. So I don't remember a moment apart from the moment that I was standing behind our cabin, looking out over the lake. And just, I heard Jesus asking me, what do you want? Where are you headed? And will you follow? And that those questions to me were just very radical. I mean, it was sort of like, are you happy with the life that you're living? And of course I was living a very double, double life. I was going to church and then Monday through Saturday, just totally living however I wanted, partying with my friends and sleeping with my boyfriend and lying to my parents. And, um, and all of that again, was sort of a pursuit of fun and just good times, pleasure. And at, at, although I would also say that it was a very hollow kind of, it was a very hollow sort of pleasure. And to hear Jesus saying, you know, will you follow? Where are you headed? Also, I was like, I'm not really headed anywhere very good. Um, what do you want? I don't think I really want the life that I'm living. And will you follow? Yes, I think that is actually where I'm going to find my life. Um, and so my life radically changed. And really, even this book, I have it called Faith, grows out of that moment because I was at summer camp and we had the preacher at the camp said if it was probably the last night, I'm sure there was something really, really emotional moments or whatever. But he said, if you've made a commitment to Christ this week and you're afraid that when you go back home, you're going to just sort of fall back into your own pa old patterns, your familiar ways, you know, you're worried that the, this commitment won't stick. I really want to encourage you to form some really good spiritual habits. And, and they were, one of them was just daily Bible reading. He said, I encourage you to form this habit, do it for six months every day. Do not miss a day for the next six months and you will make it a habit. And that'll be a grounding thing in your life of faith. And to me, that felt actually kind of practical. It was like, okay, this isn't magical. 
I can just, okay, this seems like a good thing to do. I'm going to drop anchor. I'm going to just read my Bible every day for 10 minutes a day. I mean, it was quantified 10 minutes, of course. And I can remember the day that I spent the night at friend's house, people, my friends who weren't Christians, and we were getting up early the next morning to go to an amusement park. And it was a, a couple hours drive. And I was like, I gotta read my Bible. Guys, do you want to read my, my, the Bible with me? And they're like, not really. Thanks. <laughs> But so there was, I was a little bit legalistic, I should say, and probably keeping those habits, but man, I didn't probably keep the habits well, but the habits have kept me and, and that's God's grace too. It's not, it, the practices are, are a way we just sort of participate in God's grace, pay attention to it. I don't, I don't think it means that all of that, the faith life depends on our efforts but it is a way that we sort of consent to the work of God in our life. So good. As you were sharing about that habit building, I was thinking back to, oh, I don't know if it was about seven years ago or so, um, my husband was taking a master's class at Regent Bible College, which is on the West Coast here. And one of his profs was a man in his 70s. And my husband was like, you know, I... I want to be like him when I'm 70. And so he just asked him, like, what what do you do every day? Like, what's your kind of practice? And he just said, this is how I read the Bible every day. And so from that point on, my husband's like, I'm going to do it. Like, And he, my husband works in ministry. So he's often preparing talks. He is um, often in the Bible for other people right, to prepare something. And this was a change for him just to say, no, I'm actually going to be in the in the word every day for me. And he would point back to that moment, that decision, that practice as changing his entire life, the way he takes care of his health, the way he connects with people, the way he um, identifies lies and truth in his life, all of these things, our relationship, just to that one decision and practice. And so um, I just love the conversation we're going to have about what it looks like to develop this daily habit for ourselves, um, I think is deeply impactful. Um, I want to also, before we dive into that, touch on how did you start writing? How did you go from, hmm, maybe I should write down my story to this is my fourth book that I'm getting published. Cause that's actually, there's a lot of people who want to get published. That's not um, an easy thing. So I'd love to hear that story. Those are just, I mean, the story really is one of God's providence, God's provision. I um, had started to think, okay, I want to write my story. And I also want to grow in courage in writing um, so there was kind of a twofold goal, I guess, that I had, I because I had been doing some devotional writing and I had been publishing devotional writing since 2004. So in some ways, you know, I had been doing that, that I'd been doing that seven years by the time we moved here. Um, but that always just kind of felt like a side thing. And it almost felt, I had a friend who was an editor of this publication. I used to do some freelance editing for them. And then I started writing for them and it was sort of just a thing that I just thought was sort of on the side, truthfully. And I did it because I got involved doing it, not because I was a great writer, but just because I had this connection and I don't know. And I think it's easy to do that sometimes when we think about our calling, when we think about our gifts, we just aren't able to sort of piece together the kind of moments of, oh wait, 
this this might be making sense of how God is at, is going to use you in the world. So in some ways, the writing actually is very old, but I didn't start making sense of it for a while. So I started I started a blog, and it felt like really like a silly idea. Truthfully, at the beginning, I thought to myself, um, you know, blogs. I don't know what could do they do in the world. <laughs> Um, but I knew it was an accountability structure. I felt like, you know, I want to write and I need a little bit of accountability. And if I have people who are reading and maybe expecting me to post some things, then that'll be a little bit of accountability. And what I found is when I was doing that, I realized I have all these questions now. As I started to write my story, what was surfacing specifically were questions around desire and how that fit into the life of faith. And I started to realize I don't really have good answers for questions like, is desire always good, bad? It was actually really, I always thought desire was bad. And then I started to realize like, well, I have all these desires. Is that really the full story? What does the gospel really say about um, me being a new creation? What does that even have to say about my desires, this side of, you know, the work that Jesus is doing in me and, and, and being united with him in his life? And so I realized, oh, maybe there's a book here. Because I have these questions, and I think a lot of times people do buy, write books when they can't find the books, then answer the questions that they have. And that was very true for me. Um, how do I tell the best story about desire as it fits in the life of faith? So those were the questions. I got invited to a writing retreat by a friend. I went to this writing retreat. It was just a very, very small. I went with a friend from Toronto. This friend who invited me ended up not even being able to come. And there were three other people there. One of them had just gotten his first book contract with InterVarsity Press. And he, and just throughout that week, it was, we were writing and I was just kind of like, I don't know, is, could this be a book? How would I even write a book? What does that even mean? What is required? And here I'm, I start to build a friendship with someone who says, you know what? I think that could be a book. I would love to sort of companion you and, and just show you the road you know, help you make some connections, help you identify some good resources to just start working on this book. So he was a mentor to me, truthfully, and really just a friend. And he's still a friend today. So all of that happened because I went to that writing retreat, because I met that person, because he said, I'd love to help you get this book published. That's so awesome. I love, I love hearing people's stories because um, so many of us find ourselves in the middle of the process and feeling that nudge or that call or the, I don't know, I'm just doing like, I'm sure when you went to this writing retreat, you're like, what in the world am I doing here? Am I wasting time and money? And who am I to do this? And I feel like as we step out in those places, um, God does often provide and sometimes it's through a person right another person saying hey like i'm going to i'm going to bridge the gap from your in some ways your desire or your dream to making it happen and what i love is that we cannot plan those mm -hmm. things we can't like make those things happen we can just be obedient to those nudges and i think sometimes especially right now in this world of instant everything 
there's this idea that like, okay, if, um, you know, if God's called me to this, I'm just going to become this instant overnight something um, instead of realizing there's actually this process God wants to bring us through. Um, and it very often involves uh, us risking saying yes to things. Some things not working out very well. Um, other things where just somebody comes along, we're like, oh, you know, and then looking back, like you said, just telling telling this story, I think is such a, um, a story of faith that I'm hoping people who are listening, um, that it builds their faith wherever they're at in the middle of their process. Um, just knowing that, um, you know, I, I think I love what you said about how desires, um, I think growing up in the church, often there can be that sense of, oh, desires are bad and wrong and you should just squash those and (laughs) go lead your quiet life. When I, I feel like, often it's like, no, actually God has put those desires inside of you. And so um, it really is up to us to pay attention to what he's wanting to lead us on and that he has these great plans for us um, that may not look the way we thought and may have a lot more, a lot more bumps in the road. I'm sure there were a lot of bumps as you um, moved from that writing retreat to actually getting published. Um so thank you for sharing. I love that. Yeah. I, you were just talking about risk and I thought, oh, I, I wanted to tell this one part of that story because I actually haven't told it in a long time. And I thought, oh, that was a part of it. I was reading um, a biography of Julia Child at the time too, which is just so crazy. Um, and I learned from her story of just how she, they moved to Paris because her husband was a diplomat, I think an American diplomat. And she really liked to cook. Well, she actually really liked to eat, I think is the, is the truer thing. And she just decided, I feel like I should enroll in classes at the Cordon Bleu. And she, it was expensive. It didn't make sense. Like, what was she going to do with cooking classes from the Cordon Bleu? And um, so there's just this moment where she just says, well, I don't know. I mean, I'm going to, I guess I'm going to do that. And her husband was really encouraging. And to me, I felt like as a Christ follower, shouldn't I be able to take the, like the kind of, I don't know, the biggest risk in the world? What do I really have to lose? You know, um, of course, it's always I'm trying to do that obediently. But for me, writing was a little bit of of sort of stepping into kind of just the unknown. And you're right. I went on that writing retreat. That was a week away from my family. My husband, you know, we had our kids were quite a bit younger at that time. He was having to manage all of that. It was costly. It was, you know, we had to pay for gas and pay for the retreat. And um, and I do think it's so encouraging for people because it's often we see other people's stories and we imagined their stories to be way more straightforward than ours. Like, oh, they just knew all along. They moved towards something that was really clear. And I think if you talk to any Christian, and about their calling. They probably had all kinds of moments where they walked into something that felt very uncertain, very risky, and probably a little bit foolish. <laughs> totally. I love that you just shared that because I think um, I think you're right. I think we do see, especially in this world of Instagram, that we see um, the highlight reel or we see that this is the great thing. Here's the great thing. It's not often that people are sharing, hey, I... I just submitted a book proposal and I got rejected. Yes. Or I just launched this thing and it 
really failed and, and fell on its face. Or I'm going to this retreat and I feel so unqualified and I feel so, I've had this in my life where I'm like, am I foolishly wasting my family's time and money and my husband's time off work? All of those things that actually, you know, have brought me to tears in kind of this anxious, I don't know. Yet I think part of it is just saying, God, I feel like you have opened the door for this thing. I'm going to walk through towards this uncertainty. And I think that we see that all throughout scripture. No one in scripture was ever like, okay, this is how it's going to happen. And then we're going to do this. And, you know, so often it was like, I just have to be obedient and walk forward. And um, I love that you shared that because I know that is going to be very freeing for women to hear that, oh yeah, none of us know for sure the outcome and we're stepping forward. And I do think sometimes when things don't work out the way we hoped right away, it is either because it's it's going to work out another way later on or it, there's just something a little bit different and being open to, okay, God, I'm going to, this is what I've really had to wrestle with over the last while is um, all I really can do is um, manage my obedience and my yes. I can't manage the outcomes. I, I don't have control of the outcomes, but I have control of just saying, yep, I'm going to, I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to risk, I'm going to be brave. And I'm just going to trust that you're going to keep leading me. And so I think that's actually a great segue into your book. Um, and I'm going to, I'm going to share the title again. Um, it is a habit called faith. 40 days in the Bible to find and follow Jesus. And so I want to just ask you why this book right now? Like, why is this um, the book that we need right now? Well, I didn't know that we would need it as much as we do in the sense of we've lived a really hard year and all of our faith, you know, I think faith just feels like our faith is fraying a little bit, you know, we're we need to sort of be grounded in the truths about who God is and his love for us and how we can endure um, through difficult seasons. Um, I didn't have any of that in mind as I was writing it, but I feel really grateful to hear people say, I'm so glad for this book right now because I, after the past year, I've just been barely hanging on. Um, but, you know, in terms of when I was actually sitting down to write it, I was really writing it for a couple different reasons. I mean, A, I think as we talked about before, just the habit of Bible reading um, feels like a very basic habit, but it feels like a really elemental one. Like it is sort of a keystone habit in our faith life. And I found for me that it's just... I don't know where I would be if, if I, at 16, somebody hadn't said to me, really, this is a, an important habit, do this. Because I feel like all the work that I do now um, is just, it's grounded in that habit. It's, it's, it's not theological education. I don't have theological education. I've just been a Bible reader for 30 years now. Um, and I've sat and under really good teaching and, and I went to a Christian college. So it's not as if I have, don't have a few kind of things, I guess, in my toolkit. Um, so I'm writing it to say to people, please, you know, immerse yourself in the scriptures. I was actually just hearing somebody say that there is a huge difference between Bible quoters and Bible readers. And we have a lot of Bible quoters, a lot of people who can, you know, say, 
I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, you know, to give you hope in a future, but they don't know that that comes in the book of Jeremiah and what it meant to live in exile. And so this idea that we need Bible reading, we need kind of that overview of the, we need the story of um, the Bible and all of its kind of acts and characters. And we need, like you said, even we need stories like Genesis in Abraham where we see that there's not the straightforward plan. All God says to Abraham is go to the land I will show you. Talk about vague details, you know, no kind of five-year, 10-year plan. Um, so there's a sense that I want to help people to form um, the habit of Bible reading, which is different than Bible quoting. Um, and, and certainly, I think as we look at the habit of Bible reading, it, it's pointing straight to Jesus. The Bible story is, is Old Testament, New Testament. It's a revelation of God's plan to um, enflesh himself, to bring salvation through Jesus and through the cross. Um, I also really wanted to kind of be able to invite people who weren't familiar with the Bible into the Bible. I, when we moved to Toronto 10 years ago, I realized, you know, I mean, the vast differences that really exist. I mean, you could say America to Canada, um, and certainly just Toronto, like a cosmopolitan city to the suburbs that we had come from. And so there wasn't there was just a very, there was a different kind of cultural reference point to Christianity. And I think there was a lot of, I think I've discovered a lot of suspicion around just um, Orthodox faith and Bible reading. Um, I, as I make friends with people, people either think that's really nice and weird maybe, um, or I'm a little bit nervous that you're a Bible reader. And I, I, I you know, like, what does that, do you, believe that we should sever the hands of thieves. You know, I tell the story at the beginning of A Habit Called Faith of being at this dinner party, someone realizing that I'm a writer and wonder, what do I write about? I write about Christian faith. And she just looks at me aghast thinking, oh, what, what, do, what does that mean that you believe? So I wanted to create a resource that Christians could read alongside curious skeptics, seekers, um, and draw them into the landscape of the Bible not avoid the hard things, you know, because we, we go to Deuteronomy. That's where we start in a habit called faith. So it's a little bit strange, but I think in some ways, again, it's like, I want to invite people into the full story. I want to invite them into the posture of faith, which at the outset of Deuteronomy, we see that it's about being submitted and surrendered to the words of God, to God's authority in our lives. Um, so that's, those are some of the people that I imagine reading it. You know, I hope it will deepen the faith of Christians. I hope Christians will grab a neighbor, grab a colleague, grab a family member. I, it's not, it's not the kind of apologetics resource for somebody who's asking is the Bible true? And how do we know Jesus was raised from the dead? I, I mean, I touch on some of those in a little bit more of a sideways kind of way, but it might be for somebody who's like, I'm going through a hard time. I'm recognizing that I don't really have a solid foundation in my life. I put a lot of hope in my marriage. My marriage is falling apart. You know, I put a lot of hope in our um, economic situation and now we're unemployed. 
um, and we just lost our house or, you know, it, it certainly doesn't even have to be a life crisis. Sometimes it's just you realize that you hoped and trusted in things that actually just never satisfied in the ways that you thought they would. I would love to see Christians saying, I'd love to tell you what it means to follow Jesus. Do you want to take this journey with me for 40 days? Wow. That is such a beautiful invitation. Um, and so again, I think if you were listening to that and somebody popped into your mind, I think that's the invitation, right? Like what would it look like to grab a copy for you and a friend and just say, hey, I haven't read this book. Why don't we do it together? I'm looking to just be a little more grounded for 40 days. Um, do you want to do this with me? And so I think that's such a beautiful invitation, a beautiful hope. I've already shared that I think um, it's such an accessible read for people. Um, now, why, you, you touched on it a little bit, but why do you write about Deuteronomy as well as John? Like, why are those two part of this? I keep telling people that it had it been up to me, which is kind of a strange thing to say, because right. it is my book. I would have written on Genesis and Mark. Genesis is my favorite book of the Old Testament and Mark is my favorite gospel. But it just so happened that I was, um, and I wasn't even honestly conceiving of a book project. I was just preparing for some speaking that I was doing and I was studying um, in the farewell discourse in John, John chapters 13 through 17. And as I was doing some study, I realized that there, I mean, commentators, scholars were saying, oh, there's a lot of um, connection to Deuteronomy because in the farewell discourse in John, Jesus is leaving his disciples. He's telling them, giving them kind of final instructions. He's saying farewell. And in Deuteronomy, we have the same thing. Moses is saying farewell to the people of Israel. They're going to go into the land and he's not. And so he's giving them his final sermons. Um, and so I just got, started to get really curious about that. I thought, wow, that that's so interesting. The other thing that had been um, illuminating when I was studying in the farewell discourse and they were making these connections between the gospel of John, the book of Deuteronomy, they said there are these five verb themes that connect these um, as well. And so there's the, the these five verbs of faith, see, know, live, love, obey. And as a word person, and then of course, as a writer, I thought, oh, that's when I started to think, could that, could that be a really interesting way into sort of just capturing the life of faith, the invitations of faith, see, know, live, love, obey. And what could that look like to sort of cast that net really wide, you know, beyond kind of a church person to somebody who's out, you know, maybe on the fringes or maybe maybe not even in the church yet, maybe just has a Christian friend. And I, and I have really also just, I guess, so that's kind of how the Deuteronomy and John thing came up. And then as I just started reading Deuteronomy, I thought there's really a lot here that speaks into kind of just a secular contemporary mindset of, you know, well, I should be free to do whatever I want to do, live my truth, you know, do my, do me these kinds of mentalities that we see culturally that are just not, they're not a faith posture. You know, we, we have to live Jesus's truth. You know, we have to live surrendered to him. We, we find our greatest freedom actually in being bound in faith, you know, um, in obedient faith to Jesus. And so as I was even just, yeah, I was seeing that even in Deuteronomy that Moses was saying to the people of Israel, 
these are the words of God and I hold them out to you as a blessing. I, I beg you almost, you can really kind of hear Moses pleading in various parts of the book. I beg you live by these words, live, you know? And that to me just felt like, gosh, that's what we want to, that's what I want to convey about faith. I think a lot of times, and even as Christians, and this kind of returns to our conversations about desire, we sort of imagine like the Christian life is, is a good life, but it's not necessary. It's good in the sense of maybe eternally good or morally good, but like, is it experientially good? Is it a satisfying life? Is it really the life of blessing? And of course, I'm not talking about, you know, God giving you all of your material desires, but I'm saying, you know, that at, at the end of the day, you know, is it the, is it really a good, good life and Deuteronomy and, and then of course, John there, Jesus is saying, I am the life. And that to me just feels really important to be able to say to people, because I think as Christians, that's where a lot of things go wrong. You can even see it in the garden of Eden when the serpent says to Eve, you know, did God really say you won't really die? And she takes that second look at the tree and it looks to be good for food and it's desirable to the eyes and, and it's good for making one wise. And so she just thinks, well, it looks really good. It must be good. She doubts that her best life will be found in obedience to God. And that those just seem like really important themes to be able to draw out. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. I love even just what you said at the very end that, you know, we we do get lured away believing our best life happens apart from God. Like that's the subtle temptation that we can make it happen on our own or that, like you said, we we want to tweak the truth to suit our needs, our cultural moment, whatever is going on, but really it is found in the truth of who he is. And we, it's much harder to, to be deeply rooted in the truth of knowing who God is if we're not reading really the entirety of scripture. Um, and so I love that you are actually bringing us into Deuteronomy, into a place in the Old Testament that for a lot of us, we may have just been like, oh, that that's not relevant to me. Like that's, that's super old. And so um, I love that you um, are bringing us there. And uh, there was something else so brilliant I was going to say about something brilliant you said, and I've, I've totally lost it. If I, if I can remember it, I'll come back to it. Um, yeah, it's gone. Um, I wonder what thoughts you might have, because you started sharing a little bit about this. Um, again, just that idea of kind of this progressive Christianity or this idea that um, the Bible isn't the inherent word of God or, uh, right? Like there is that kind of current moment of like, I'm just going to choose this or pick this. Like, what would you say uh, to people who are feeling a little bit like that? Like I've heard of people talk talking about, you know, dissecting their faith or mm -hmm. um, deconstructing things. Like what, uh, what would you, I'm just curious to know what you would say to those people who are kind of feeling like, yeah, I'm, I'm a bit confused. I'm a little bit stuck or I'm not really sure is the Bible true? Can I, can I believe it? Mm -hmm. Well, first of all, I think it's so easy for people to sort of dismiss the Bible apart from reading it. <laughs> I think that 
people sort of just imbibe a sense of, well, gosh, this, the Bible is primitive. The Bible is ancient, old, unreliable, maybe, maybe true in some regard, but not fully to be trusted. And people may come into believing that not because they've actually read the Bible, but because they've heard other people sort of bring those accusations against the Bible. And I, that's why I really want to say to people, like, actually, if you read the Bible, I think it's very hard actually to, to, um, not find it compelling once you sort of put your nose into it, you bury your nose into it, which isn't to say that it is obvious there. We need help reading the Bible. Um, I need help reading the Bible. I didn't do this book apart from, you know, using a lot of resources, you know, and having people who are more trained than I am to be able to help me read the Bible well. I mean, so I think in one sense that we, I want people reading the Bible for themselves. And I also want to assure them, it's okay if you find it hard. It's okay if you stumble over things that feel difficult. And that may not be reason for rejecting it. Um, but there certainly is, there's no way around reading the Bible without seeing that it automatically affronts your sense of it being entitled to your own way, to your own kind of um, way of seeing things that are right. I mean, goodness, you could go to a book like Judges and it feels as if it's just a commentary on kind of where we are culturally because the book is just this moral kind of spiraling into just utter catastrophe. It's moral catastrophe. And you get to the end of the book and you see there's everyone was doing what was right in his own eyes. And I think that I know for me, as I read the Bible, I actually become less and less confident that I could ever discern what's right apart from having a wisdom that's external to myself. I mean, I get up every day and you know what I think? If I were to do what was right in my own eyes, it would be like, kids, get yourself to school and get your own breakfast because mom's doing her own thing, you know? I mean, given, you know, my own way, I would live very selfishly and greedily. I would think only of myself. I know that to be true of me. Now, maybe people feel like they have a lot more reason for confidence in themselves. But I think if we're to be really most truthful, we know that we are the kind of people who don't love our neighbor as we love ourselves and wouldn't even know how to love our neighbor as we love ourselves, much less learn to love God uh, to whom all worship and praise and honor is due. So it's like, you know, it, you have to kind of grapple. I think it's interesting. I mean, as we think about that kind of progressive idea of like, well, I'll live my truth and I'll do me. And there, you have to have a lot of confidence in yourself to pursue that kind of way of living. And the beautiful thing about Christian faith is the paradoxical hope of it. Because on the one hand, you have to get to this place where you say, I have no reason for confidence in myself. I wouldn't, I don't know the right. And even if I did know the right, I wouldn't choose it. I would choose self-protective, self-aggrandizing ways. I would glorify myself, you know, every day for the, for the rest of my life. That I would live fully for myself. So on the one hand, Christianity tells this truth 
that that is in one sense hard and yet also so hopeful because as soon as you get to tell the truth about yourself then i mean you get to sort of as you re accept that you're at fault you get to then receive forgiveness and then healing and and then renewing you know the gospel says that we're not just condemned to kind of live the moral catastrophe that is natural in our own inclinations, just that we are now united to the life of the perfect son of God, and that we are baptized into his death um, through the cross. We're raised to walk in newness of life. And I find that to be way more hopeful and actually feel it actually feels truer to my experience of myself than me do you know me just doing me um so i really challenge anybody who kind of feels that way like well how's that really going for you is that really making for flourishing relationships in your marriage and in your family and in your friendships or does that actually sometimes lead to a lot of selfishness and a lot of um fragmentation you know even in your relationships yeah. I love that you use that that line, just that paradox, because I think that's so much of what we find in that, that there is this freedom that comes as we surrender our rights, um, as we acknowledge just our own, um, like you said, our own selfishness, as you were talking about your own selfishness. I, I know for a fact that I am the actual worst person left to my own devices. And so really it is uh, Christ working in me. And that um, we've shared about that lots on um, this podcast, just that idea of really surrendering and um, coming to him. So I love that. Um, I did think about the, um, the, I remembered the brilliant words that you'd shared before. Um, and, and really what it was is that idea that you have you highlighted the those those final words in in John and in Deuteronomy, and I, and I always think it's so powerful. Any final speech anyone is giving, if you are leaving the house and you have a babysitter, you were telling them them the most important information. And so I love that you are highlighting those two uh, areas that you've connected them. And I have this line that I also pulled out of your book and. In case people are feeling like, how is Deuteronomy possibly connected to my life in 2021? Um, I just want to, um, I just want to read this beautiful line that says, the God of Deuteronomy is the God of the wilderness and the God of the lush valleys, the God of manna and the God of meat, the God of thirst and the God who brings water from the rock. Truthfully, life is far more precarious than any of us likes to admit. One habit of faith is remembering the lessons of the wilderness in our seasons of prosperity. God can be trusted to lead even through dry places. Hope placed in him is never misplaced hope. And I love that because I think for many of us, we can probably relate to feeling like we've been in a dry place. This past year has brought so many into what feels like wilderness or desert or just like God, where are you? This is a hard, hard season. And so I love that this really is an invitation to draw closer to him and to um, trust that he is the one 
that brings manna. He is the one that brings water from a rock, really from those dry desert places. And that even, um, you know, as you're listening, you may not feel like a writer, but I think uh, one thing Jen shared early on was that idea of what does it look like to write down your story of being in that dry place? I think that's actually a big part of building faith is looking back and saying, oh yeah, when, when I was in that place, you met me there. And as I'm in this place of flourishing, I can remember the places you've brought me through. And if I find myself again in a dry season, I know you are still here with me. Jen, is there anything you would like to share just as we wrap up? I'd lo- I've loved having this conversation with you. I love um, all that you've shared. Any final words? I guess I'm so glad actually you brought that out because I thought, oh, the wilderness. Yes, that is a great... <laughs> That's the reminder of where we've been the last the last year and where we still are. Um, you know, I'll I'll say the maybe the final penultimate I guess chapter in John um, John chapter twenty. He tells us why he's written his gospel, and he said these these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. So there's that life theme again. But one of the things I but I don't want to talk about that. So we've already talked about that a little bit, but I love that, that verb tense so that you may believe sometimes it's, um, some manuscripts look like the verb is more like come to believe, you know, almost like that, that moment of conversion, but some of the manuscripts make it look like it's continue to believe. And I think to me, that feels so incredibly true about the life of faith, that there's a coming to believe and there's a continuing to believe. And so this book and just my encouragement for people is that we do that every day. Hope of faith is something we choose just every day as we continue to believe that God is the God of the wilderness and the valleys, the lush valleys, and that he's given us Jesus and that through Jesus, we have his life, even when we are in the wilderness. So I guess I would just finish with that. Well, thank you. Now, where can people find your book and where can they find you? Yeah, book, the book is available pretty much everywhere. Um, You know, Amazon, of course, and Chapters Indigo and um, Parasource is the Canadian distributor. You can, you can um, get it directly from there and then Baker Bookhouse in the States. I mean, it's pretty much everywhere. And then I'm on Twitter and Instagram, less, a little bit less on Facebook. And I also write a regular letter to readers so you can subscribe at my site. And I try to share what I'm learning from scripture, what books I'm reading. A lot of people are interested in kind of the books I'm reading. So I'm a big, I'm a big reader and um, yeah. So I would love to love to connect with people in any way. Awesome. Well, I will share those links in our show notes. Uh, Jen, thank you for joining me today. I trust this has helped you move one step closer to thriving. Can I just say thank you for listening? This space has been incredibly encouraging for me this past year. And as I am being deeply encouraged by these conversations, I trust you are as well. And I'm not going to ask you to rate the show or subscribe, but I am going to ask if while you were listening today, a friend popped into your mind and you thought, hmm think they could use this encouragement. Can I ask you to share this episode with them, with one person? When I listen to podcasts on my phone, there are three little dots at the bottom right, and I click there to share. Also, can I say sometimes I don't share with others? 
as I'm worried about what they'll think of me if they think I'm bugging them by sharing something. But when someone shares something with me, I am never bothered. Often it is the exact thing I needed to hear. So if someone popped into your mind, click those three little dots and share this encouraging conversation with them. And thank you for listening to Ready to Thrive.